Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 171. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Facebook, at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, my YouTube page, at Brian McClanahan. You can go out and find all those things at brianmcclanahan.com at the top of the page. Also, while you're there, give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook read by yours truly, and you'll get on my email list. Also, sign up for mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. People that enroll in McClanahan Academy get the best deals when the new courses are released, so I've got another course coming up. In fact, this particular episode of the Brian McClanahan Show is going to focus on a small little segment of that course and what you're going to get out of it, but it's going to be on the Constitution. But I've got four courses there already, one on the war, one on the Declaration, one on Secession, and one on Alexander Hamilton. So you want to get those, and that will also help support the Brian McClanahan Show. Okay, well, let's talk about the issue of the day, which is an email that I received from a listener. And uh, you do, I do read these emails. One thing you, if you want to send me requests to do a podcast or an episode in the podcast on a particular issue, go ahead and send it to me. I may not always respond back to your email, uh, but I do read them. And uh, I do thank you, those that take the time to write emails to me um, and tell me what they like, what they don't like, what they want to hear particularly those that want to tell me what they want to hear because it gives me some ideas for future shows. So uh, this is the case in this particular uh, episode. I had a listener say that they were discussing with their family, I think it was their father-in-law, the idea that I've often talked about that the states in 1776 considered themselves to be independent, that they, we had at that particular time period, 13 independent states that we had a decentralized federal republic being formed, not a united state without the S, where we had a singular central authority, but 13 independent states. And that their father-in-law disagreed with this, said, Look, there's no consensus about this. All the founding generations saw this differently. All the states saw this differently. Uh, some states believed that they were um, going to be governed by the central authority. They had no independence whatsoever. This was a unified effort, not an effort of 13 independent states. And so the problem is we have uh, a lack of consensus on what this means and that there, there was no Uh, independence for 13 states. It didn't exist. That essentially what I've been saying is wrong. So this individual emailed me and said, look, I I just don't understand. I've read, for example, this, their father-in-law brought out the uh, Declaration of Independence from from the state of New Hampshire. And in this particular document, the state of New Hampshire did say essentially, that they were going to be taking direction from the Continental Congress and that it would be the Continental Congress that would tell them what to do. In other words, they're not going to be independent per se. They're going to take direction from the central authority, and that central authority would rule over them. 
the continent, the central authority being the Continental Congress. So I told the individual, look, this is too simplistic. This is too in, in a too simplistic reading of that particular document, number one. And number two, it doesn't take into account all the other evidence to the contrary, that there was a consensus that the 13 states were independent, that we did have a decentralized political structure that has never changed, by the way. And this is something I'm going to get into in extensive detail in the course on the Constitution. And I don't want to steal all my thunder for that course because I, I want you to pick that up. But I am going to mention a few things here that would, I think, conclusively refute this idea that somehow even the state of New Hampshire, which did say these things in its, in its Declaration of Independence, it did say that it's going to try to take direction from the Continental Congress. It's going to be uh, essentially looking to the Continental Congress for answers that there was going to be a, a united state, essentially, of America because it, it talked about uh, a unitary state at that particular point. So there is a way to easily address that particular position. And I want to do that because this is important. It's it's nice when uh, uh, individuals email me and say, look, I, I don't understand. I was discussing this with a friend or a family member, and, and uh, it just doesn't seem to make sense what you're saying. So let's look at this particular uh, issue in a little more detail. And let's start with, with the questions that this individual asks. First and foremost, the first question, how can it be how can we be confident that the colonies were independent of each other after 7476, given the evidence above? And two, how does one address the general perspective that no uh, definite political structures were established by the founding generation, and that nothing can be definitively nothing can definitively be considered unconstitutional. And he says that um, there's a quote from this New Hampshire Declaration, and it says this quote: "We do hereby declare that it is the opinion of the of this assembly, our delegates at the Continental Congress, should be instructed." And they are hereby instructed to join with the other colonies in declaring the 13 United Colonies a free and independent state. Not states, but a free and independent state, singular. <clears throat> this is true. This is what it says. And, um, of course, this individual said that, told his father-in-law that um, uh, most colonies declared independence before the Continental Congress did. And that uh, that made them independent states. So let's let's un, as they say nowadays, let's unpack this and look at what's going on here uh, in this particular situation. First and foremost, yes, some of the states did declare their independence before the Continental Congress did so through the Declaration of Independence in uh, seventeen July seventeen seventy six. This is true. I mean, you, anyone would recognize this. In fact, Pauline Meyer, in her book on the Declaration of American Scripture, does a nice job in discussing this in quite a lot of detail. Now, one of the ways we can actually 
examine this particular position is through the drafting of state constitutions. Now, this is a very important step because, you see, in the United States, uh, in the American political tradition, the American colonists, later members of the United States and the states themselves, believed that written constitutions were essential. Written constitutions were essential, uh, other than, rather than an unwritten constitution, because the idea was that a written constitution would restrict the powers of the government, whether it was the central authority or the state governments, but the written constitution was there to ensure that these particular things could not be infringed or by the government itself, or that these were the only things the government could do. Now, when it came to the states, it's a little different, because the state constitutions, um, as James Wilson of Pennsylvania pointed out in his State House Yard speech, essentially were there to, to determine a structure of government. And as long as the central authority, as long as the, the state said that we can't do these things in relation to, say, the Articles of Confederation or the United States Constitution, they could do whatever they wanted. The constitutions that were written for the central authority, the Articles, and then later the Constitution for the United States, those particular documents were designed to limit the power of the central authority, leaving all else to the states. So who is granting the power in that particular case? And I've done a podcast on this. is essential. The states were granting the powers to the central authority, meaning they had the sovereignty, meaning that they were free and independent states. So that's an important distinction to make. But the fact that these states were writing constitutions shows that they were already independent states. They thought of themselves that way. They thought of themselves as uh, equal, co-equal governments in relation to other states, including the state of Great Britain. Now remember, in 1783, the British Empire was forced to recognize each state as independent, individually. It didn't have one peace treaty with the United States. It had 13 peace treaties. So there was a consensus at that time that the states were independent, free and independent states. So looking at these constitutions and when these constitutions were drafted, there were actually four states that drafted constitutions before the Declaration of Independence. New Hampshire is one. In fact, it drafted the first constitution. Uh, so did South Carolina. Virginia drafted a constitution before, and so did New Jersey. So all of those states drafted constitutions prior to the Declaration of Independence. In fact, New Hampshire drafted a constitution on January 5th, 1776. Now, the language of that document is interesting because even in that particular document, it's still looking to the center. We're going to do this because the Continental Congress said we should do this. We're going to do this. We're going to declare independence, but we're going to look to the Continental Congress for guidance. So in New Hampshire, there was, in a way, a drag on that free and independent state idea. However, if you read carefully, particularly in that Declaration of Independence that they had, if you read carefully, the, the fact that they've drafted the Constitution in and of itself says that we're an independent state. Now, they're doing this to protect their rights as Englishmen, which is what the entire war was about to begin with. 
Uh, they're doing it because they said the central authority, Great Britain, has been violating these rights. So we're going to protect these rights in the state of New Hampshire. Uh, and when they, when they talk about the Continental Congress is going to give us direction, there's only two areas that the Continental Congress is going to give them direction, or really one area. And that was in waging war against Great Britain, foreign policy. All else, they say, is going to be left to the state of New Hampshire. Now, this gets into the whole concept of the empire and what the American colonists believed the empire should do and should not do before the war itself. During the era of salutary neglect, and then after that, in the ten years leading to war, there was a certain discussion that went on about the nature of the central authority and what Great Britain could do and what the colonies could do. And essentially what the colonists believed, and this was across the British Empire, not just in British North America, but also in places like Jamaica and Ireland, there was a certain uh, a pushback against internal meddling in these particular areas. Meaning that they believed the British could regulate trade, and they of course believed the British, the Parliament, could then defend these colonies against foreign invasion. But all else should be left to the colonies themselves, meaning all of your domestic concerns. That was out of the purview of the British Empire. So when you look at the United States Constitution, and you look at the decentralized political structure that Americans preferred, clearly preferred, that's essentially what you're getting. You're getting the idea that the central authority can handle commerce and defense. Now, international commerce, all they could do internally was ensure that you had a free trade zone between the states. When you even look at the U.S. Constitution, that's what you get. It's a free trade zone. There's no discussion uh, about anything other than that. Commerce had to remain free and unimpeded between the states. There was no discussion about regulation of commerce between the states. Other than that, now certainly the mechanism was put in place where it could do that, but the founding generation really wanted, more than anything else, the uh, free exchange of goods and services between the states. They didn't want Virginia and Maryland passing tariffs against each other anymore. And uh, when even when you look at Supreme Court decisions, that's the case. This is what they're looking at. And, of course, internal commerce, the internal affairs of the states, meaning, the, meaning what uh, individuals in those states do, was not under the direction of the general authority. And individuals were not commerce. This is what states could do against each other. Individuals were not the state. So what I do in my own personal interaction with somebody else is not the state. Uh, now, the states could regulate that, the states themselves, but the general government could not. So, that decentralized structure is key to understanding what's going on here. Even New Hampshire said that in its Declaration of Independence. So, you had four states that had a constitution written, excuse me, written before the Declaration of Independence in 1776. And then you had uh, a number of states that did it after. Uh, now, Connecticut and Rhode Island simply used their colonial charters. So they didn't, they didn't change anything. 
We're just gonna we're just gonna use our colonial charters, and um, we're going to uh, maintain those charters moving forward. So uh, those two states never wrote a constitution. In fact, Rhode Island didn't write a constitution until 1842. But we know Rhode Island was an independent state because it refused to ratify the constitution and essentially was acting as an independent country until 1790 or still operating under the Articles of Confederation. So it was essentially a free and independent state. But it didn't draft a written constitution until 1842. It had its colonial charter. It was basically operating under the common law system of the British example, an unwritten constitution. Connecticut drafted a constitution in 1788, but certainly, it was still viewing itself as a free and independent state. And I'll explain why here in a second. Now, other states, Maryland uh, drafted a constitution in 1776. So did North Carolina. So did South Carolina, as I mentioned before. So did Georgia. I'm sorry, not Georgia. Uh, so did Pennsylvania. So did Delaware. Uh, other states, uh, Georgia, 1777. New York, 1777. Uh, South Carolina, Carolina redrafted a constitution in 1788, or drafted another constitution in 1778, excuse me, and Massachusetts in 1780, which is the oldest written constitution in the world. So you had all these states drafting constitutions. The mere act of drafting a constitution shows independency. The mere act of drafting a constitution shows independency, because if all they were going to do is simply rely on the central authority. They would have drafted one constitution for the central authority and not done anything else in their state. It is a clear example that these states believed that they were independent. Another example of that, a very clear example, is Article 2 of the Articles of Confederation, which states that each state retains its sovereignty and independence. So, even the first constitution for the United States, the Articles of Confederation, clearly says that these states retain their sovereignty and independence. Well, they retain it. They're not creating it. They're retaining it. So, there was a consensus among the 13 states that they were free and independent states. As Jefferson clearly said, and the Declaration of Independence, which was the last paragraph of the document. Again, I get into this in both the secession course and the course on the Declaration. That was a conscious choice of a word. They could have said their provinces, their colonies, their counties. No, their states as the same as the state of Great Britain. That's very important. I mean, words have meaning. And the fact that that particular paragraph was adopted by uh, the Continental Congress, which was Richard Henry Lee's position, the state of Virginia's position, they just simply took that wholesale and added it to the Declaration and said, this is what we are. We're 13 United States of America. Not the United States of America. We're 13 United States of America. A very important distinction to make. So you can't get around that. You can't get around this 
the, the evidence that's there that says the consensus was that these were 13 independent states. The Treaty of Paris of 1783 recognized each state as independent. And Jefferson clearly says what these states can do, which is everything that a free and independent state may have right do, which was commerce, defense, internal affairs. Now, when they drafted the articles, they delegated certain powers of the central authority that they did not think that they could do on their own. That's the key. Defense was something better handled by a central authority. Didn't mean the states couldn't defend themselves if they had to, but the fact that you had 13 states would be more powerful than just one state in, say, resisting the British. So this was one thing that they thought they should do in a collective. Same thing with commerce, international commerce. But that's, that's the British Empire. And under, in order to understand the American political system, you have to understand the, the British imperial system before the war. This is how the American colonists conceptualize it. Now, the British didn't agree. The Parliament didn't agree. They thought that they could do whatever they wanted with these colonies, internal affairs included in that. In fact, this is what Thomas Paine said. You know, this is, he basically called it slavery. If you can legislate for us in all cases whatsoever, what's the difference? This is what the Parliament was saying. And Paine said, no, you can't do that. You cannot legislate for us in all cases whatsoever, only in certain things. That was the American conception of the imperial system. And nothing changed with the United States Constitution. The only thing they did was strengthen that central authority to give it additional powers. But who gave it those powers? The free and independent states. The nature of the Union had not changed. Madison was at pains to try to explain this, and I think he did a poor job. And this whole idea of dual sovereignty was a farce. But the nature of the Union did not change. You still had 13 independent states that had granted more powers to the central authority, but still retained all else not granted, or as they said in the 10th Amendment, not delegated to the central authority. Granted, delegated. Now, uh, the term expressly was thrown around, and it was said it was unnecessary to have that because everyone knew it. Everyone knew what it, that granted and expressly granted or delegated and expressly delegated carried the same meaning. This is how the Constitution was sold to the states during the ratification process. This is what James Wilson said in his Statehouse Yard speech. So clearly the consensus was that these states had a tremendous amount of power, that the central authority had very limited power, and the states had a tremendous amount of power because they were essentially independent countries that had sovereignty. You cannot divide sovereignty, and once sovereignty is is acquired, it cannot be surrendered. And in this particular case, the people of the states were sovereign. The people formed the state governments. In some cases, when you look at these state constitutions, they were never even put up for the vote of the people. So the state essentially formed its own constitution. But regardless, these states had all the power. And one state constitution saying, well, we're going to rely on the uh, central authority to tell us what to do. Is it? I mean, that's backwards from what every other state thought. Um, when you look at New York, for example, uh, when you get to the vote for independence, the delegates to the Continental Congress from New York wouldn't vote because this legislature of New York 
wasn't telling them what to do. So here's a clear example that New York was operating independently. The fact that every vote was taken by state, not by individual, says something. The fact that the uh, that the Constitution was ratified by state, that the Articles of Confederation was ratified by state, that votes in that Congress were to be held by state, not individual in the first Congress under the Articles of Confederation. The fact that the, that the President and, and the Constitution is elected by state, or if there's a no clear majority in the Electoral College, the states and the, and, and the House of Representatives are the ones that make the decision. Not individuals in the House. States in the House. They vote by state. You see, the states have complete control of the government. They are the fourth leg of the general government. It's not often viewed that way. We view it as the three branches of government than the bureaucracy. But in reality, it's the three branches of government in the states. That's the fourth leg of government. And the most powerful leg of government. Because the states can abolish the whole thing through an Article 5 convention. You see, the Constitution is amended by the states. The states have all the power. It's clear from the entire historical record that the states were the primary agents of every form of government in the United States. In the 13 United States. That they were sovereign, independent, free and independent states. So, what we have, when you look at this and someone says, well, there's no consensus, that's ridiculous. This is an old argument that has been dusted off several times. You can't come up with a consensus and find it. They didn't agree on anything. They agreed on nothing. Not true. They agreed on a lot. They agreed on form and structure. They may not agree on individual policy at times, but they agreed on form and structure. The consensus did. There were individuals who didn't necessarily agree. I mean, Hamilton among them, James Wilson ultimately, when they got into the government, they operated in a way that they said they wouldn't do. But see, that was the consensus leading to ratification of the Constitution. That the central authority would only have certain defined powers and all else was left to the states. I mean, this was the consensus. This is what everybody agreed with. Okay, if you say that's the case, we're going to ratify this Constitution by slim majority in many states. We're going to ratify it. Because we're going to believe this is what the Constitution actually does and what it actually means. So, to say there was no consensus, I mean, that's, a, that's an old, tired argument that's been it's easily refuted. Uh, and the question is, you know, the question of how does one address the general perspective that no definitive political structures were established? They were. They established 13 independent states through written constitutions. Two, using their colonial charter. It's already written down. Okay, we're just going to move that forward. Where do you have a government? So they, they established definitive political structures. When you look at the Articles of Confederation, it's a definitive political structure. When you look at the Constitution, it's the definitive political structure. And the way that those that, that particular Constitution was argued because it went through a ratification process, unlike the Articles of Confederation, you find consensus. So all these things are important. It's all important when looking at the nature of the Union and 
1776 and 1778 and 1781. Remember, the Articles were not ratified until 1781, so these, these particular states were still operating under their written constitutions. They're independent states. There's no central authority. John Adams called these people ambassadors from the states. The Continental Congress made requests. The states could comply or not. That shows clearly that the states had all the power. Um, so this, this, this argument, is it's been said a lot. And, and of course, in this particular case, the individual said his, his father-in-law has a history degree. So th there's, there's people that have history degrees can be very dangerous because they think they know a lot of things. And oftentimes they don't know a lot of things. They know whatever they've been told to read in a history book. Uh, a textbook, maybe they've read a few books, some popular history, some other things, but they um, they don't. It's just like someone that has a little bit of knowledge about economics can be very dangerous. Someone that has a little bit of knowledge about history can be very dangerous because of the way that they they just don't know certain things. And it's, it's okay. I mean, this is why I do these kind of things. Um, and it's not to slight anyone or say that this person is not intelligent. That's not the case at all. It's just they don't know. They don't know. Uh, so I hope that answered the question. I hope that, it, that this cleared up some things. And I'm going to get into this in more detail. I'm actually going to go through these state constitutions in my course on United States constitutions. I'm going to look at them in a little more detail and look at what these state constitutions did, talk about them in more detail. Uh, we're going to look at the Articles of Confederation in grave detail. It's, it's going to be something that I think needs to be done. We're going to look at the U.S. Constitution the same way. Also, the Confederate Constitution is going to get a nice reading. And we're going to talk about British imperial structure and uh, the antecedents to all these things. So it's going to be a wonderful class. I hope you sign up for it when it's ready. It's coming in September uh, at the latest early October, but it'll be around in the next month or so. So you're going to want to be on the watch out for that. And to get that on the best deal, I'm only going to give a deal one time on it. It's going to be... At launch, you have to be enrolled in McClanahan Academy to get the deal. If you're not enrolled in McClanahan Academy, you won't get the deal. So go on out to McClanahan Academy, enroll. It's free to do so, and uh, you will get the best deal when the newest courses are released. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. <laughs>